welcome to the Seabag Podcast uh, with Micah and Brian. And um, <laughs> right now we're on Zoom and <laughs> there's, I, obviously y'all can't see, but Micah's hair, he's grown it out into this, it, it's like Jesus and uh, Leonard Skinner. Um, that's kind of what came to mind. So we just put that thing around. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Hey, you guys. What's going on? So, yeah, we've been, uh, we took a little bit of a break. We came up with, uh, we had to get some creative juices flowing, and then we had some some life goals that we went after. Micah was running ultra marathons, yep. and uh, I did some pretty serious hunting. So now we're coming back together and uh, putting on another show. Well, I first wanted to say that this is, uh, I've been waiting for this. I've been, I've been missing the uh the show and and talking about all the shenanigans so i'm glad to be back and hopefully the people that do listen to us are you know maybe glad to hear us again so yeah so anyways you're marathoning with that hair what did you do with it did you just let that shit flop around or did you so my girlfriend entertained the idea of putting it in a they call it a high pony (laughs) I did not. I did not. She she did it one time when I was uh, we were just hanging out at one evening and she put my hair in a ponytail, which I have never done. And it was it was pretty funny and I walked around for about 10 minutes with it and we decided that that wasn't the look that I that I was going for. And uh and so I just uh I ran I, I ran with a hat. So it just kind of hung like a wet towel on my neck. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just, that's I just, disgusting. Yeah. It's about shoulder length now. So it's, um, it's a little ridiculous, but yeah, it was, uh, gets a little hot, but it does, it does flow well with. <laughs> so exactly how far did you run? Was it, we got to clear this up because we had debates while you were doing the whole thing. I called it a double marathon. So, so it's an many times. Yeah. So it's a, it's an ultra marathon called an ultra but an ultra marathon is is anything over the length of an, an actual marathon so 26 miles so anything over that is okay. is considered an ultra they have like 30 k's and 30 milers they have 50 k's 50 milers 100 milers uh, they've got a bunch i've only ran one so i won't act like i know anything about that community um i ran i ran a 50 miler and um I, I had set some pretty outrageous goals when I decided I was going to run it. Um, and I actually ran it with a buddy of ours that we we were in the military with. Um, and so I set some some goals and, and I had a pretty, pretty serious training routine. And uh, yeah, race day came and and uh, it, it went perfect. Um, I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for better results. I actually placed 11th in the in the run uh which i think it started around 65 or 70 um and they i think they had around 15 or 20 something drop out you know throughout the race and uh i did it in like 10 hours and 50 minutes i think so it was uh it was tough it was (laughs) there's nothing easy about it and uh it sucks and it was probably and we'll talk uh, we'll talk about the emotions of it later but i think it was probably one of the the toughest things i had done in that amount of time 
um, consecutively. Um, did they have um, did they have different classes? So did they have like a, a a class for people that that normally run marathons? You know, like an experienced <clears throat> class, and then like a novice, or they just smash you all together? No, you they throw you in a group, and then they say go, um, and you're you're in a group of 70, 80 people, or however many the, that you know signed up. And, uh, and you start together and you, and you end separately. That's for sure. <laughs> You're not ending with so, anyone you started with, you know, they're, it's, it's pretty intense. At what, at what point did the pack start? You know, when you start a, a physical fitness thing in the military yeah. and like, as they go, it's the same thing. And then like, you just have this big glob of people and then slowly yeah. it stretches out. Yeah. At what point did it slowly start to stretch out? So this was a, it was a, a race in the woods. It was a, a single track. Uh, trail through the woods so you could really only run one person on the trail you could you couldn't run side by side even if you really wanted to um so they what they did was it was it was a single trail from um roughly north to south and you start at the bottom and you run to, you start at the top run to the bottom and mm-hmm. um when you start they put you on like a little one mile up and one mile back before the trail starts so everyone runs up this mile together and on the way back it starts thinning out so once you hit that single track in the woods you all have some distance in between each other and and uh it's still got a little claustrophobic in the mile or two but once you hit like the first two miles you're pretty far apart from everyone um and and then it just gets worse and worse. There's a few times that I didn't see anybody for just hours. Just really yeah. <laughs> like you, you'd go two, three hours without seeing someone. And if you did, you did see somebody, it would be like one person uh, or two people, you know, you're passing somebody or someone's, someone's rucking past you. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a lot of running. Man. Well, it was, it's, it, I actually, I found that it was easier than it, and it was me thinking about it when I first started. It was actually easier to run the race than what my brain was thinking it was going to be before the race. Um, be- because before the race, I didn't realize the amount of aid stations that they would have throughout the race. And and they would have uh, some you could have a crew there or family or friends that would, you know, help you out when you got there. And But they had, you know electrolytes and water and you know cookies and snacks and things to things to just grab in a you know plastic baggie and just keep running uh if you had a camelback or like little water bottles they you know you stop they have a, a crew of people that would fill up your jugs and fill up all your stuff for you give you an ice cream and then you are on your way and uh so <laughs> you know it 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 was probably the most amazing group of individuals that i've ever coming in you know into contact with and people that are in the military um or were in the military would have had a lot of difficulty understanding it because when you show up to these aid stations everyone's like cheering you on you know like whoa you're doing so good and and in the military if it was all military guys they'd be like get up pussy you know like hurry up you know and, um, so it was a great experience and, and each aid station was like six to eight miles in between each other. So, okay. so it, it wasn't okay. as bad as it wasn't just running 50 miles without getting a break. You know, you run yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, and then you get another one. So, 
Um, I, f I finished before the sun went down, so that was nice. But there's a lot of guys that and girls that you know finished finished the race, and it was ten o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. They're running down these trails with headlamps, and I was like, nah, -uh, not this guy. I want to finish when the sun's <laughs> up, you know. <laughs> so you don't need that wind resistance on the top, of right? Your head. Right. That's what. I was kind of hoping you'd do that in a ponytail, you know, like a like an old Camaro with the big whale tails, the big spoiler on the back. You need a little bit of downforce when you're going. Right, right. Yeah, I'm gonna do the dude. What was your? I'm gonna do the hundred was your, miler uh, next year. Oh, oh, yeah, you're, you're Dublin. Yeah, okay. Well, Dublin down. What was my what? No, you're you were talking about like your uh, like the goals and stuff when when you were getting ready to do this thing. How how did you break up your training regimen? So. I did really limited research on on what I should and shouldn't do for training because you can go online and and it's just uh it's it's kind of like going on Google and typing in uh how to how to shoot a gun. Mm -hmm. You're going to get about 10,000 videos and they're all probably going to be wrong or right depending on who you are. And all for certain body types, certain types of people, certain novice, you know, novice professional. And then you're going to have, you're going to have about 1% that's right. And then the rest is just bullshit. So uh, maybe not bullshit, but you know, you get what I mean. And, and so I went to the training with that mentality. I said, you know what, I've been running for a lot of years, not competitively, but I'm going to write a, a, I'm going to write my own training routine uh, for this and I had thir I think it was 13 weeks to prepare for it so I ha I had to kind of boogie to, to get ready and the last two weeks I didn't train so I really only had about 11 weeks because uh, you don't want to go into a race running 60 miles the previous week you know you want to go in as fresh as possible so my last two weeks I didn't I didn't do anything um, but I just quickly, I, I, I kind of went off of a progressive style training program. I started with a number that I knew I was comfortable with, and I set a goal that I wanted to run 60 miles in a week, which is, is not that much, but build up to that. And so I started with, I think it was like 20 a week, and I would run 20 for the first week. And I was running you know, at first I would run like four days a week, five days a week. And throughout the training of 12 weeks, I eventually bumped it up to about seven days a week that I was running. Um, and every week I would add one mile to each run. So I wasn't adding a, a lot to each running session, but over time it built up five miles here a week, five miles next week. And so I went from about 20 miles to 60, 65, roughly, um, at the end of my training. And, you know, training for an ultra, you don't have to run fast. You, your, your muscles just have to understand that, that fatigue is normal and you, you, you have to train below the threshold of, of, um, of lactic acid buildup. Uh, okay. So you never want to get to the point where you're, you know, you do a sprint and you run a mm -hmm. sprint for, for 20, 30 seconds. You're, once your mm -hmm. lactic acid builds up uh, at the end of that sprint, if you run as fast as you can, 
you're never going to run that same speed, right? You're, you're always going to be a little bit lower each time you run it if you run them consecutive, yeah. you know? So, so when you're training for an ultra, in my experience, and I could be completely wrong because I don't know anything, and there's probably some people that are going to tell me how wrong I am, but um, <laughs> I don't really care. So, so I did a progressive style training program, and, and I, I built up, and I just ran, you know, I probably probably ran an average of like nine to 10 minute pace miles throughout my routine. And my goal was to run a 13 minute pace for 50 miles. And that's what I did. So, um, and again, you know, 12th week I was running about 60 to 65 miles a week. And that's a lot, especially after a 10 hour work day, you know, and in the Florida heat. So it's, it's, um, but it worked for me and, and that's the same, the same thing that I'm going to do for the hundred miler is something along those lines because uh, a professional runner can say what works for them, but it may not work for everyone. So that's the the mentality that I that I went into it with. Okay, yeah, right, man. Well, that I mean, it's a big fucking difference than back in the day when you got somebody screaming and yelling at you, like you know, fucking hurry up or don't forget this or yeah or be accountable for that or you got to be you know, there's always something to fucking be accountable for in, in, in that regard, especially in the military, as far as like physical fitness and you're always accountable for that. And I think you're held accountable for it, um, by your, by your peers and by the people that are above you. Right. And fucking that's, I, I think that's so fucking cool that you were able to come up with, uh, come up with a, a, a really good strategy and then really hold to that and that speaks volumes of uh, of like i don't know it's just a it's just it's just cool to see that kind of dedication and you know you're you're constantly building towards something that that produces a phenomenal result at the end well i i appreciate that and i think that was and i definitely don't want this to be all about me running because it, <laughs> uh i'd like to like to touch on some some hunting stuff, but yeah, that, I think that was probably the, when I finished my race, I wasn't, I didn't give two shits about what place I came in. Uh, I, it was cool coming in 11th place on my first ever ultra. But when I, when I ran through the, the tunnel and I saw the time, my goal that I set was to run it in under 11 hours. And, um, and I, when I when I came through and and passed the finish line, it was like ten hours and fifty minutes or something like that. And Damn. so it was like sensory overload when I, I was just like I I did it, but I did it with my own program, and I did exactly what I wanted to do because. And we're gonna I'm gonna overuse accountable on the on the show the the word accountable, but I I held myself to a standard throughout a 12 or 13 however 14 week process and if and if i you know those days that you're sore you want it you don't feel like getting up those days after your after your work day that you don't feel like running you hold yourself accountable to that program it it works um and and i think that was the most exciting part about finishing the race was that i did it in the times that i set three or four months prior um so that was that was exciting for me. Yeah, I, the the accountability factor always seems to be 
presented in a, a negative aspect, like somebody's always holding you accountable for your actions. And generally, when you hear those words, it's, it's there's a negative context to it. Right. But when but when you succeed at something or you you know have worked really hard, nobody talks about accountability. Right. They always just talk about the success. And I I, I think it's really important to pick apart you know the, the ways that you were accountable and how that did make you successful instead of constantly using that term in this this that 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 has to do with negative right shit. well there, there's a lot of excuses that i would if if it was me looking at it someone else that did that um 10 years ago i would say well that person works inside in ac so they have ac so they're not worn out all day long you know when they get home and they have to run you know say say i was welding their fab and stuff up working in the heat all day that's an excuse a lot of people have it's like well i work outside and i you know i or or i have a really labor intensive job and, and it's an excuse that's given uh, like you said un, until you finish in in spectacular form or, or you you do you you accomplish the goal um if you don't accomplish the goal in that said time or or how you wanted to those excuses now come surface level and it's like oh well, i didn't do it because of this problem i had and that problem i had and i had tendonitis and uh, you know like everything shows up um but i remember you talking about your hunting trip and you're like I'm, I'm you were logging in miles like rucking stuff you know getting your <laughs> getting your um you know getting your uh your ruck on and and going up into the mountains and it's like Oh boy, <laughs> this is gonna suck. If I, you know, especially if you would have shown up without being ready and in shape, you know. It... So <laughs> yeah, let's talk about hurt. that real quick. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I went out to uh, Eastern Washington um, and went hunting with Bob Bob Jensen. Uh, big shout out to Bob. We went after some elk archery hunting, and uh, yeah, so we. Uh, we loaded up and, and Bob set up a spike camp uh, a few miles up a mountain and we hung out uh, in this little valley for about a week and uh, we um, didn't see many elk, didn't have much going on and then the wolves showed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, hello. <laughs> <we got> <laughs> 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 Hi. <laughs> so the wolves started howling and that made the elk shut up. So we... Uh, we we boogied down to uh, the main cabin to come up with a new plan, and um, while we were there at the cabin, you know we're 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 going up down this area that he affectionately calls the bowl, okay, and it's got some pretty serious elevation changes from the top to the bottom, and we're you know we hunted both sides looking for sign, <laughs> and uh, it was about eight days into the trip, and I I, I woke up one morning and we were. I mean, we were getting a little down in the mouth. Like, right. No right. elk. Where? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyhow, so I, I told Bob, I said, listen, man, I'm just going to do a light recon. Light light reconnaissance. I've got a can of Copenhagen, mm. a bow, <laughs> four, a bow, four arrows, and a water bottle. I don't even have a range finder. Oh, and an elk call. Okay. Elk well, call. Had, had you guys heard elk? At, yeah, we okay. had a couple bugle. Okay. We had one come in and couldn't get a shot, and and, and and you know it was just it was just light. Right. I, this is my first year elk hunting, so right. you know inexperienced me. I'm just there, and so <laughs> along for the ride. Yeah, and so I'd been up in that area before, and I was um, 
I had, I had found a spot that I, I, I knew would be a good spot to call from. So I hopped on the old mountain bike and, uh, pedaled my happy ass a couple of miles down the road and, and dude, I jumped down, um, off the side of the road and the road is, you know, there's really steep bank on one side and the other. And so I jumped down on the downhill portion and I break out my elk cow call and I start cow, uh, cow calling down into the bottom of this this basically clear cut and just trying to get just trying to hear something come out right and dude i was sitting there for i don't know probably a half an hour and all of a sudden the squirrel starts going ballistic and they don't they don't like (laughs) they don't like those cow calls period man you you honk on one of those things and they'll answer you but this dude just decided to go nuts and so you know i was thinking maybe something was on the other side of the road anyhow i climbed climbed from climbed up the bank back up to the road and just as my head broke the road i see a long tail and a pussycat paw yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a big fucking pussycat and so uh it was kind of like misty and hazy and rainy and but shit. you knew exactly what that when you saw oh, I knew the exactly tail, what that okay. was <laughs> all right yeah so a cougar that's a cougar right. yeah a, a cougar mountain lion puma right whatever you want to call yeah. it um and it's about 20 feet from my face but it's around this bush it can't see me and it didn't see me um anyhow i backed up and i hit that i hit that fucking elk call and the cat jumped down onto the road and he's looking at me he's about 20 yards away (laughs) staring me in the face and uh so i pulled back and let one fly oh man (laughs) anyhow he jumped up in the air and toppled over the side and i called bob and and my heart is beating right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 uh, I wasn't scared until about 20 minutes after it was really, it was really kind of like a, a calm and, uh, there wasn't too much thinking. It was just all muscle memory yeah. and, and the amount of, amount of shooting that I've done with that bow. Right. And you've, you know, I, what that cat's intentions were, I don't know. It could have easily seen me and bounce that's typically you don't see mountain lions i've i grew up out there in mountain lion country i'd never seen one before really not that close even growing up as a kid nope oh wow nope i used to i used to bomb around on those logging roads on my old big red (laughs) three-wheeler for miles right and i never saw nothing so you shoot the cat and it and it take and you hit it right you see you see it hit and then you oh i saw it hit okay anyhow i called i called bob and I was breathing kind of heavy because that was when, like, oh, this is what just happened, and <laughs> and all the bad stuff that could happen from right. it. And uh, I was like, hey man, I just shot a cougar. He's like, what? <laughs> I said, come down, help me find it. And so, him and my mom, they came down, and and my mom actually helped me blood trail a cougar. Oh about man, eighty yards. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, that's bonding right there. Yeah, it was. I never thought I'd be killing mountain lions. Yeah. And, <laughs> hanging out with my mom so anyhow um for every you know everybody that i've told the, the story to their first question is, is did you eat it or what does it taste like right and so um when i got it back i skinned it out and then yeah how far uh, did you track it for uh, about 80 yards okay so not not terribly yeah. far but in that in not that brush far. is pretty bad yeah, it was thick. I was tunnel ratting. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like <laughs> Vietnam, but I was I was I was skull dragging over the top of cougar blood. Yeah, yeah. But nice. uh, no, nah, we got it. I got it back, and um, I cut the tenderloins out of it, and then took uh, took the rest of the 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 carcass, hung it, and then got it down to a freezer. But those tenderloins, man, 
All I did was marinate them in some olive oil and a little bit of uh, balsamic vinegar. Really? And then I and then I cut them into pieces and then breaded them and deep fried them like a chicken nugget. Really? So pussycat nuggets, and it tastes it tastes like uh, like a pork chop. Oh shit! Like a yeah, it tastes like a breaded pork chop. It's white. Is that the the Bob Jensen way? Uh, that's the Brian Dubin. Okay. Way. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd, I've never cooked cougar before, so I I guess tenderloin yeah. is tenderloin, but um, tenderloin is tenderloin, yeah. my friend. So just as so, good, probably as a just as a deer, as good. maybe. Um, it's just it's just a different different texture and a little bit different. It's a milder. It's a really mild taste. It's it's literally a lot like a pork chop, like. When you that's, that's about as far as I can go. Well, let me ask you this: When you, <clears throat> I know that I've killed a, f- a few deer, nothing to talk to shake a stick at, but and a few animals. But sometimes you get a little bit of a maybe not a pause, but you're going to shoot something and you get that uh, that excitement, right? When you see yeah. a big buck, right? Or or you, mm-hmm. uh, you there's no hesitation, but you get that. That kind of like funny feeling in your ch- in in your face, like oh, it's about to happen, you know. Um, yeah. How did your training it, through your whole life of growing up in that type of area with the military and and your training leading up to it? What what would be the difference if you didn't have that? It's just a, it's just situational awareness. Um, where I live in Pennsylvania, the the only predator you have to worry about in the woods is yourself and a black bear. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, black bears, the, the attacks on people are, are extremely rare. And, and so are cougars. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cougars will kill you. Like, they will hunt you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure a bear, if taken the opportunity, would do the same if it was super hungry. Whatever. There's a whole bunch of scenarios. Sure. But <clears throat> that cougar is an apex predator. Yeah. That thing is a killing machine. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I pulled one of the claws out and you're talking a two inch dagger that's ready to oh, <laughs> sink boy. into your neck and they're, they're razor sharp, but the, the situational awareness just to kind of keep your head on the swivel and always checking and, and making sure you know what's going on around yeah. you. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it's that, that, that sense of excitement and stuff, man, I didn't even really have it. I was looking at it. I, I looked when I when I released, I just remember the eyes. Yeah, it was just yeah. staring. We were just staring at each other, and it was so close that you could I could see the eyes move, mm. like from shoulder to shoulder. It wasn't like we were. He'd look me in, or yeah, he'd look me in the eyes, and then it would move. Okay, and <laughs> it was it, it was that close. Yeah. You know when yeah. cat, you know when cats are about to pounce and they do that 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 little shifty thing on their paws. Yeah. He was he was doing really? it. <laughs> yeah oh yeah he's moving oh man <laughs> and so it's like you know it's like well and again i don't i don't even have a knife to to uh to to field dress this thing yeah yeah so it was like well it's either this arrow in a club or just this arrow one of the two yeah there's there's no draw <laughs> quick robin hood move and reload a new arrow it's uh no it's it's no draw throw throw your you know shoot throw your bow and and fist to cuffs. Hopefully, hopefully, you got yeah. some brass knucks or something. You know? <laughs> so anyhow, that 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 happened, and uh, and then um, the next day we we went deep um, into this other spot, and we got into the elk, and we got into them heavy. Okay, and uh, uh, you know it was my first time being in in that kind of uh, elk rutting environment, 
and those things sound like fucking banshees in the woods. <laughs> you know, you hear this elk just really? screaming. Oh yeah, and and Bob is over there on the bugle, and he's just pissing them off. You know, he's hitting the bugle; right. they're screaming back. And and um, I, the first time he did it, I about jumped out of my skin because I didn't know he was going to do it, and I was facing the other way. <laughs> and uh, oh shit, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the big difference between hunting deer and hunting elk. I mean, there's a big, there's a lot of differences, but sure. the elk talk that the elk talk back and tell you where there are. So you're not sitting there wondering, oh, I wonder if there's a deer down there. Right. It's like, nope, there's 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 an there's an elk right there. You just got to go get right, it. Right, right. So anyhow, we went we went pretty deep, and uh, we get onto a bull, and I I I crawl down into the the edge of this this clearing next to a creek, and I get set up in a little final firing position, <laughs> and I'm just. Bob's talking shit to the elk. The elk are talking shit back to Bob, and I'm just waiting for one of them to right, get pissed right. enough to come out. And uh, I had a, a a cow elk come in on me, tried to go up my trail. I laid down across the trail with my bow like a log, and she looked at me, got up close, blew at me, and then just kind of like walked away. How, how far away? About five feet. <laughs> it's good camo, my friend. Really? Camo. You just <laughs> oh, laid yeah, down. Yeah just laid down flat wow. you don't look like a human she couldn't smell me the wind i was completely downwind okay. from her from a from a pretty strong breeze she couldn't smell okay. me but anyways bob's still talking shit to the elk and the elk are still talking shit to bob the, the whole time right. anyhow i look i look i look to my left and out comes this this golden fur I was like, oh shit, that's another cat. <laughs> I'm laying and down. So, <laughs> no, no, not laying down. <laughs> so I, I knock a, I knock an arrow and get ready. Right. And about 15 feet in front of me, out walks a bear. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So the bear walks in front, and um, this is like Wild so West I, John Wayne shit. Oh, Bob is still talking shit to the elk. This is he like there's there's elk elk calling going on. And then God. the bear comes in, and so, anyhow, I, you know, sent one into the bear, and so I sent Bob a text real quick. I was like, "Hey, man, I just shot a bear," and I go up there, and I don't know. He's like, "We're, what we're he hunting was... elk over here, okay?" Yeah. <laughs> the look on his face was the look on his face was like, "That's cool." Now go shoot the elk that's over right, there. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> Qu quit. I don't know what you're doing down there, but stop. What's next? Raccoons and possums. And... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, anyhow, um, you know, I we we I put a stock on that elk and got busted. Um, we had we had another one come in and couldn't get a shot on it through okay. the uh, through the brush. And man, it was just uh, it was a cool it was a cool experience and something that uh, you know one of one of my goals for this year was to basically hunt my balls off. Right. And uh, it's it's been a good it's been a good year and uh, had a lot of fun with Bob. Well, with the the pictures that I that I get from you, it's like. Like I'm thinking there's just like animals parachuting in, you know, like that's oh. what it sounds like. You're like, well, oh, I shot a cougar and then I shot a bear and then there's, there's elk everywhere, you know, like you can hear them stomping around, but you can't get a shot on them. And it's like, God, I, I remember hunting growing up in Louisiana. Like you, you'd hunt for a year and not even see anything, you know, because it's Louisiana yeah. and it sucks. You know. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we, we spent a week. Oh, uh, we spent seven days without even seeing an elk 
We'd hear them, right? But you right. wouldn't see them, and you're like, and it would the the hearing would be few and far between, and then you know, then you'll get the other elk hunters that could be phenomenal on a call, and you hear it, and you're like, ah, is that a you know, I'm completely untrained, and so every right. noise I hear is like, oh, there's one over right. there. And Bob's like, no, dummy, well, that's a human. So, just, so that was my next question. Did you ever run into anybody, any other hunters? We did. We did. We actually ran into a, a couple young guys on the on opening day, and then uh, a couple older fellas uh, on the, the day of, uh, that I got that bear. Okay. Um, so it, it, it was, it, but other than that, we saw you know, four or five people. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, if you're, if you're stalking a, a, an elk and you're bugling as you're stalking, it seems like you could, if there was someone else that was good enough on a bugle, you could just stalk right up onto someone else and you could meet in the middle. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Corral we went, style. <laughs> oh yeah. No, we, we definitely got faked out by a dude with a, with a bugle call. Really? We got faked out one time. Oh yeah. He was that, he was good. I mean, <laughs> we were both kind of sitting there and, and, uh, but it, it was just wild, man. That's nuts. (laughs) That's, that's incredible. Well, it's cool. It's cool seeing I think that's what like parents really like seeing. Granted, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I hear my dad talk about it all the time. It's like, he'll be like, I'm just happy that you're doing what you're doing. Like you're out there like living the way you want to live and you know we used to not be like that you know mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of <laughs> there's been a, a lot of years where where we didn't exactly have the the direction that we have now and you look back at those years and like think how much we missed because we didn't really have the have an idea on where we wanted to go what we what we wanted to do and um i think it's awesome that we're we're both kind of shredding lettuce as we get you know <laughs> we're, yeah we're, we're getting after it well l- let me hit you with a quote really quick and and um see what you think about it and for everybody else it's it's this book by ryan holiday it's called ego is the enemy and uh this quote it says what matters to an active man is to do the right thing whether the right thing comes to pass should not bother him Okay. Whether the right thing comes to pass should not bother him. So the way I interpreted it was as long as you're doing the right thing. Now, we could sit here and fuck around with that yeah. definition of what is right and wrong, and that could be debated, whatever. Who gives a shit? But the right thing, you are doing the right thing by your family, you're doing the right thing by your brothers you're doing the right thing by your boss whatever you're doing the right thing the correct thing you're taking accountability for this what happens after it shouldn't bother you because you're no you know you're doing the right thing right right but well i think it's also doing the right thing for your sake as you know because think about how many years or times we've been walking around it's like i'm not even doing what I should be doing at, at work. Like I don't, I don't have the right job. I don't have, I'm not living in the area I want to live in. Like though, I believe those all kind of correlate with that statement. Um, you're, you're living in the right spot. You're, you're doing the right thing for you as a, as a person. Um, and I think that, I think that goes a long way 
it but but what about that second part that says it shouldn't bother you if it does whatever happens shouldn't bother you because that's kind of it, it to, to me it's taking it to this level of like if you just continually are doing the right thing eventually it's going to work out and and i think the when you when it comes to defining the right thing i think that the the, the accountability portion that's the right thing yeah um because you can take you can take responsibility for an act like i am responsible for x y and z but the outcome of that responsibility you know when 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 shit goes wrong cuz like what we were talking about in the beginning is accountability is never focused on when when the outcome is positive well yeah when, always, when the hunt doesn't work out right yeah. when the when the run doesn't go as and just going off the events we just talked about, you know, you don't, yeah, you yeah. don't, you don't bag an elk on this on this trip that you go out. You, I, you know, I don't finish the race in time or or whatever. Um, I think if the effort is put forth, because you, you know if you're doing the right thing, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be the right. We're not maybe. I don't know if that's talking about morally, um, or I think it could be about it, anything. It, it could be. Uh, and, and like you said, we could go like down like a, a long rabbit hole on that one. Um, let's find the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that was coming. So yeah, I, I think it all plays together. If you're, if you're, let's see how, how, how do I want to put this? When one thing, when you decide to get your brain right and you decide to, okay, I'm going to stop doing this bullshit life or this, this, whatever I'm doing that's causing me to fail, or I'm going to decide to, you know, people say it all the time. It's like, I'm going to choose me, you know? <laughs> right. And, and that's fine. That's great. But if you don't do it, then it doesn't matter if you say it all the time. Um, I think if you start choosing yourself to make, make yourself happy, uh, and you start doing the things that you enjoy to do, and you start taking care of your family, taking care of your kid the way you should be. And 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 so I guess you could say like the stars start lining up, you know, because you start doing the things that that are going to make you enjoy life. And over time, go ahead. No, no, I saw I saw another quote in the book that that I might butcher it because I don't I didn't highlight it like an idiot. But it's all right. It said it said when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You're just getting all Miyagi on us now. I know, right? It, it, the book is a little Miyagi, and it's a little wordy, but it's pretty well, good. Well, no, I, um, I, I, I'm picking up on it. I think... You know, because once... I think that once you start taking account... Of, like, for me, when, when I started taking accountability of the mistakes that I had made, that was when I was able to... That's, that's when I got started with uh, the welding. That's when, I, that's when I, you know, made this choice to go to school and do that. Right. And so it kind of makes sense maybe that 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 being ready as a student or you can you can say that we're always students but w being you know taking accountability for all of the bullshit right. and then once once you have that behind you then I think you're ready as you know a quote unquote student to to be able to accept that teacher because I think the teachers are all around yes. us. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> well, it's you can you can learn a lot and it doesn't have to be a physical teacher like a like a person as a teacher it could be it could be you know mother nature grabbing a hold of you and you know i don't 
you've been out in the ocean before. I remember that time we dove. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Mother Nature grabs a hold of you real quick and 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 puts you in your place. And it's like that's yeah. that's that's the toughest teacher out there is getting out in the ocean, right? Or 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 being out in out in the Montana, Washington wilderness, whatever. It's like you're gonna learn really really quickly what you didn't do to prepare to be out there and (laughs) and if you're not if you're not in the mindset to be ready to accept that teaching right or that Mm -hmm. or that teacher uh you're not gonna learn and it's gonna fail um bro you want to hear about some uh, uh my when i went out there typically in eastern washington in september it's about 100 degrees okay like it, it, it's a clam. I didn't bake. think it was that hot. It's high desert. Okay. So anyhow, wait, I go out there and I'm trying to do a gear load out and I'm picking Bob's brain. I'm looking at the weather and I was like, all right, seventies and fifties, a little cool. The sleeping bag I brought was rated for 50 degrees. That's it. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, and it was light. It was literally the size of a small, small pumpkin, like okay. a gourd. Yeah. Maybe eight inches long. Lightweight. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll just, you know, I'll just, you know, the travel light freeze at night. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Bring your little ISO mat, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think I had my uh, field jacket liner and a pair of long underwear. Um, and then it got down to 30 degrees. Nice. Sleeping on the ground, you know, on a, on an ISO mat. And I'm just sitting there kicking, I'm like, you dumb motherfucker yeah like, out, out of everything could, you've yeah. ever been through you're doing this yeah. now yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know bob would chime in you getting a little cold over there I'm like no i'm good yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're rubbing sticks together trying to make a fire and yeah yeah you know um it, since we're just giving our accounts i did that on my race it's funny because we probably did the same exact thing you on your trip and me on my race like different different um areas but i got out there uh, and we've talked about carrying too much gear before and i didn't i don't believe i carried too much gear but i carried too much gear right i carried (laughs) shit that i didn't need and i was like um you know i was gonna bring my phone just you know for when the for when the uh the times get tough and you you've been running for nine hours straight and uh your your body your body feels like someone's been driving nails into it with a hammer. Every step feels like a a nail driven into your foot, or you know. And and uh, I was like, I I know I'm gonna need my phone with some tunes to maybe help help me crawl out of the pain, or you know, whatever. And I was like, well, if it rains, I'll bring a, a you know very very lightweight like rain jacket, you know. And I picked a bunch of people's brains before the race. And so I show up and I've got, I've got three quarts of water, three liters of water. I've got, you know, food for days. I've got everything I need. (laughs) And I make it to the first way station. And I'm like, this pack is freaking heavy, man. They had everything that I needed there. I could have dropped my entire bag and left it there and just gone way station to way station and brought, Uh once you ran out of water, you show up to the way station, they got water, they got food, they got everything. So all you need to do is make it from one way station to the next. You don't need to bring anything. You don't, you know, just maybe a, a, something yeah. to carry water. And so my girlfriend met 
uh, met me at the first way station. And I'm just like, I had a, uh, you know, the extra batteries uh, that you can, uh, like the external battery, so you can charge your phone uh-huh. on the go. I'm like, take uh-huh. this, take my cord, take <laughs> take my extra socks, take all this shit, drop like five pounds and keep on going. And But going up those, those uh, you know, nine, 9% grades up these mountains is like, fuck, I wish I didn't have this shit. I wish I could just dump my phone right here, you know? So what you were saying about giving credit for, being accountable for yourself and accomplishing what I accomplished. It's like, I kind of, I would rather talk about what I, what I did to wake up every day and do that. What it took, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like what it took for you to get on a level of, of hunting as hard as you did. What did it take for you to do behind the scenes every day, you know, every day, all the preparation, the gear, the the weaponry, you know, the, the stalking, the camo, because a lot of you know a lot of guys go through certain different types of camo every year, figuring out what works for them best in the environment. And you could you could do this all day long, but a lot of people, like you said in the beginning, only praise the final hunt because you got the kill, you know, or the final victory of whatever it is, and you're not sitting there looking at back at looking at these people and how many hours and days and and months of preparation they took to get to where they got to yeah my i I mean it was it was pretty simple you know the the you can watch as many videos it was just like a lot a lot what you said with the whole the whole um you know you when you pull up videos on running ultras there's a whole bunch of advice and it's the same thing with with any pursuit that you're going to do that's kind of out there you know whether it be guns or hunting or ultra marathons it's all the same shit so it was kind of like you know i'm gonna go with somebody that has a a load of experience i am going i i just wanted to lose some weight before i went be in good shape enough shape so i I would be able to haul some weight out of the mountains and not look like a bitch and then (laughs) be good be competent with my weapon you know be competent with that bow in order to 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 be successful right and then the rest of it the rest of it i just left my mind open it's like okay i'm gonna learn how to do this we're gonna get a crash course here we go right and then now it's like oh i have you know just a a glimmer of an idea of of so many things that i do different right and then the cool part is is that next year get to apply it again right well you get to take that empty mindset that you went into Mm -hmm. like not not empty open mindset where anything is possible and you could be right or wrong about any situation. Um, well, I'd be able to go back. I've watched a few videos since then, but again, being, and this is one of the things that, that I would tie the accountability into hunting is, is you were accountable for everything. Oh yeah. You know, and yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no way to skirt it. Cause it's really obvious when, you know, when you're either successful or you fuck up. And right. learning from those moments is is what's going to make you successful. Right. Well, you know, I, with the hunting standpoint, um, give a little bit of credit to my my kid brother. He's he's an avid duck hunter, and mm-hmm. you want to talk about a hard a hard sport. Most people don't think it's that. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it may be hard to shoot you know a, a bird out of an air out of the air without a bunch of practice, but the identification is what gets a lot of people. And you mm-hmm. and you hunt some open water 
and uh, where you can't identify what you're shooting, you're you're gonna have to be very accountable when that game warden shows up and you got too <laughs> many of the federal birds that you shouldn't have, right? And and it's like identification that I I listen and hear him and a bunch of other of my buddies that duck hunt all the time. They're quacking on their freaking calls all day long, all night long. It's aggravating and it sounds dumb and it's just like shut up, but they're working on their skill. And they're sitting there looking at these birds flying, watching how they fly, watching how each bird flies so they can know when that bird that they have too many of or that they're not allowed to shoot is flying overhead. You better not pull that trigger because you're about to be accountable and you're going to lose yeah. your boat, your guns, your license, your, you know, your, so, so I, I think it's important to, you know, give that praise because you're, you're killing something and, uh, also being accountable for treating that animal with respect is, is a big thing. Absolutely. Um, that that's, you don't get that's one of the, that's one of my biggest pet peeves or not even a pet peeve but going um people or just going into the grocery store and buying meat and obviously you know i eat meat and when i don't have wild game in the freezer i'm going to go buy it right um and i i i truly think that there's a massive disconnect between people and their food and and having the awareness that if you eat meat something had to you know, something had to die. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but when you look at it on a deeper level, it's like, where did that come from? How did that animal live? And right. when when it comes to hunting, I feel that it's it's closing this food chain gap of there's no there's no nobody else is touching it other than me, and then you know the game processor obviously, sure. um, unless I do it myself. So, but I know that 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 animal like you said you're accountable for how that animal is um harvested yeah yeah you are you you are responsible and you're taking that into your hands and that's a big big responsibility to be able to handle but that's i think one of the one of the main reasons why i've gotten into it so much is because the the weight of the accountability isn't is kind of similar to what i experienced in the military as far as this action has an impact on a life. Yeah, right. And you have to make that call, and you have to do it well, and you have to train to be able to do it. Um, and so <clears throat> with that and with, you know, some good healthy meat, I I, 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 I just, there's just something about it that <laughs> yeah. gives me goosebumps. And Well, no, you, and, you uh, explain that pretty well. Like, uh, that's... Like you said, the, with the military taking a taking a life, like, yeah, you're 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 processing your game, and or you're harvesting your game in a respectful way, and and you're not you're not there. You know, the pictures and the the media can make everyone look like these just terrible people when you go kill an animal, and, and yeah, so it's. We're sitting here i'm sitting here trying to be nice it's fucked up what people do you know but it's also fucked up what a lot of people say about it it's like well you can have a real big opinion on you shouldn't kill that but you're all about eating those fourth of july steaks you know so <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's i mean 
I, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't fault them for having the opinion for for whatever reason. It's just like you know that's that's how you believe, and that's yeah. that's totally fine. Yeah. But a lot like what that quote says is like I know I'm right. <laughs> like, and regardless of whatever you know, right. whatever opinion is tossed out there, it's 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 just this is the way it goes, and yeah. and and this is the way that I choose to feed myself. Right. So it, but. Kind of going back to the uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is um, that uh, that uh, that Marine that Lieutenant Colonel Scheller mm-hmm. um, asking for accountability um, for for our senior leadership and it kind of it struck me because the f- the first time I heard about it and I listened to what he said and if any of you all haven't seen any of his videos if you just give it a quick Google you can you can listen to him there's like three yep, or four Colonel Stewart Scheller. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he was basically calling for the um, accountability of our senior leadership in Afghanistan for the withdrawal. And the first time I heard it, the first thing that jumped in my head was like, okay, the next time a PFC loses his night vision goggles, his MVGs on a range in the middle of the night, and his platoon sergeant gets pissed, the first words out of his mouth are going to be, that's what just happens on an egress. Like like the precedent right. that that right. that was set was just you just leave it behind. It's totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and that kind of shirking of accountability is just to me is just going to tr- it's this trickle down effect. And what I'm hoping and I know that we have some active duty listeners is what I'm hoping is is that their bad example this, the the bad example that was set is something that needs to be recognized and never repeated. Yeah, you can't use that as a cop out. You know, you can't <laughs> use that as a clutch uh, for your next no. excuse. Um, yeah, I think that's a you know, and that's a whole nother that's a whole nother conversation uh, about what yeah. happened there and. The, the current status we're we're in in Afghanistan because mm-hmm. we're still there you know there's still there's still guys out there um and and we won't I don't think I I want to talk too much about that but yeah the the accountability that that he he spoke about uh Colonel Scheller's it was a big eye opener for me to see that because there's so much bullshit on the online and on YouTube and when you hear something so pure and so true, um, it kind of makes you stop and and sit back in your chair and think about your actions mm-hmm. and and what you're doing to lead by example. And I think it's I think it's interesting because uh, when I first listened to that that first video. Um, I was with my girlfriend and she, 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 she was never in the military or anything, but even she was sitting there, like he would say certain things and we were in the kitchen listening to it and she, and, and she would stop what she was doing and kind of look to the side like, yeah, right? That's, wow. Yeah. And, it, and it's very, it was very impactful for me to hear someone of his stature and, and rank to come out and talk about that. And it, at the time, 
you know, that was something that helped me out with, with my journey to run ultras. Um, mm -hmm. And not to deviate away from the military side of it, but there's a lot of people that listen to the show that aren't in the military and may not have a, a great way to, um, to make this part of their life, you know, cause if you can't relate to the military, it's hard. Um, but I was, I was able to listen to that video and, and, and relate it to what I was doing and what I was trying to accomplish. And when that doubt shows up in your brain, cause you're tired and you're worn out or you're, or, or whatever the situation is, you can stop and say, Hey, look, this is the goal I set two months ago. I am accountable for my actions, whether it's showing up to college and doing the work you signed up to do that. It's your, you are accountable for all your actions and it can, and it, it, it can transfer to anything. And I, and, and it definitely helped me stay on the path, uh, towards completing a, a race of that nature. And I'd also like to add that it helps having a good support system, like a girlfriend, you know, boyfriend, family, wife, whatever. Um, because having that, that other person that is also accountable for everything that they do to stop and say, Hey, I know you're tired, but you need to get up and go run. And I heard that a few times. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I hope she's not listening to it because she's gonna, she's gonna give me shit for name dropping her. But, um, it does help having that support system and the friends to, you know, to help you along the way. So thanks to Colonel Scheller also. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, it's been, uh, it's been real. It's, go it's been good fun. to be back, man. Yeah. It's good. To, it's good to see you. I miss you and, um, everybody else we've missed you. And, uh, this is the Seabag podcast with Brian.